Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Good morning, folks, and welcome, everyone. This is your host, Jose Negron, on Voice America on the Variety Channel, hosting the lead technology show, T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. I want to thank my audience, uh, especially throughout the United States and our international audience, where you keep picking up uh, different countries. Uh, uh, Last count, uh, we started with about seven international countries, and I think we're moving to 13. So uh, I appreciate the audience out there. More importantly, uh, the the program is intended to bring the techie folks and the non-techie folks together and talk about uh, new technology and where that technology is going and how that technology will change our lives. And I appreciate uh, the audience. If you need to make call or questions, uh, please call me on 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. I really believe uh, that what keeps the show growing and uh, our steady base of audience uh, numbers are continuing to increase is uh, our current topics and what we discuss with our guests. Uh, Today's uh, discussion is about transportation technology and innovation. Can we really do this? Uh, to help us discuss this topic today, I have a very important guest, uh, Alex Davis, a writer and senior associate editor of Wire magazine, who focus on who focuses on the transportation industry. And as I was preparing for the show, it, it is tremendous amount of uh, innovation technology that we will see in the coming years. I've known Alex uh, at least indirectly through email and, and phone conversations for about eight months. Alex, uh, of course, oversees the coverage of all things in transportation for Wire Magazine. He's a writer and senior editor, associate editor, whose stories focus on autonomous and electric vehicles, aviation, and transportation infrastructure. He, he led the launch of transportation section in 2016 and wrote the magazine's cover story about how General Motors beat Tesla and Elon Musk in the race to build an electric car for the masses. A former reporter for Business Insider and New York native, he now lives in San Francisco, and he joined Wired in 2014. The show today will be broken down in three parts. I'll ask Alex to tell us a little bit about his career and what his team is doing in the transportation types of articles they've been writing about. The second part of the show, we'll talk about top technology and innovation in the transportation industry. And finally, we'll we, uh, we'll look at the future. What can we expect? What's really out there that's going to change our lifestyle? So let's get started with the program. Alex, welcome to T3. I appreciate your uh, coming to discuss transportation industry with us, the technology and innovation today. Yeah, Jose, uh, it's uh, good to chat with you again. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you. And uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is uh, you moved to Wire Magazine uh, and then you started or began to do a little bit of the transportation reporting. What is that history and, and how did you get started in that? Sure. Uh, so I got into transportation first a little bit before I came to Wired. I got into it when I was a reporter at Business Insider. That was around 2012 that I got that job. I was uh, two years out of college and I was uh, 
hoping to to find some work writing, but I didn't have a particularly sharp or focused idea of what I wanted to do. At one point, I was actually starting to apply to PhD programs in history, which has ended up going in a very different direction. Um, but what I liked about reporting was that it actually gave me the opportunity to do the same thing that I thought I would do as a as a history researcher, which was you know, asking people questions, figuring out what happened, and then, and then writing about it and finding a way to tell these interesting and important stories to, to a broader audience. The thing I like about being a reporter is that that happens at a little bit faster pace. You know, you turn around an article in a day or a couple of weeks or at most a couple of months instead of a couple right. of years as you do at the, uh, at the academic level. Uh, so I was looking around, I was doing some freelance writing, and I had a friend who worked at a place called Business Insider, which is an online publication, which at the time was just a couple of years old, and my friend knew I was looking for something full-time, and their guy who was doing car reporting had quit. So she called me and she said, hey, can you write about cars? And I said, sure. I had written some articles about electric cars and some innovation, and I figured mostly that this would be a great way to get my foot in the door. And the, so I, I got that job in, in 2012. And the thing that turned out to be the best about it, one, I thought Business Insider was a great place to work. It was fun. It was fast-paced and exciting. But what really worked out for me was that the, the editor I had really gave me free reign to do what I wanted to do in terms of covering transportation more generally. She oversaw a bunch of sections, and I was the only reporter on this beat. So Perfect. I had the fantastic chance to just write about what I thought was interesting. And so for me, it wasn't just muscle cars or engines, although that's part of it, things like supercars. Um, but it was really the what I think I saw back then as the early signs of a changing transportation landscape, people talking more seriously about self-driving cars, electric cars really starting to catch on. And also just different ways that people were starting to get around cities with companies like Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. So yep, yep. that Go led ahead. me ultimately to, uh, to Wired Magazine, which was looking for a new transportation writer and an editor to take over what was at the time in 2014 when I came here. And that's when I moved from New York, which is where I grew up, to San Francisco, which is where I live now. They were looking for someone to come in and, and run this section. At the time, it wasn't what we at, the, at Wired call kind of a standalone section. It was, a, it was a subsection. It lived under our gear coverage, which was how they had started it back at the time when Wired had a, had a whole series of blogs, actually. It was, the funny thing about Wired is that because it's Wired Magazine, we've been online since the early 90s, and so the website has actually been through many, many changes, changes over time yeah. and kind of these various evolutions. And so the transportation coverage started as a blog called Autopia, um, like mm. auto and utopia smashed together. Right. Um, and they brought me in to do that and to kind of write about this changing landscape of, of transportation. And I worked with a couple of part-time writers. And then after about a year and a half here, I think I recognize this and my editors recognize this, that this was becoming such a large topic that it really didn't fit into the gear section anymore. Our gear section is very focused on, on gadgets and, and technology and, and hardware. And so 
at the beginning, cars seemed like a natural fit in that. But we got to a point where we weren't just writing about machines or, or discrete inventions or innovations anymore. We were writing about entire systems. We were talking about ways of changing policy so cities could work differently and, and new entire ways of moving around. And it, it just didn't seem like it fit into any other section anymore. It didn't fit into design or science or gear and right. transportation really deserved a spot um, in that in that top rail when you go to wired.com you'll see those sections along the top and, and transportation is one of them and I think that that speaks to what's really happening today which is you're seeing all these these core changes and in an incredibly important part of human life which is how do we get from one place to another correct and it is, it is changing very rapidly I mean uh, you know, when I look at what you've uh, written about, especially the electric car, the autonomous car, uh, you know, Uber and Lyft, I mean, those things are ra- rapidly moving very quickly and changing the industry quite quite a bit. So let's talk about, uh, you talked a little bit about your professional uh, history and, and you got the bug to be a writer and you moved out and you're leading a team on, on, on really covering the transportation spectrum there at Wire Magazine. I guess it was around 26. 16 when they you had your own little section is that mm-hmm. correct yep uh, then, january 2016 we launched and we brought in a couple of full-time writers and we built a whole transportation focused team here so what what has uh surprised you the most in that in that time frame and, and since 16 to today it's just been a couple of years but you've seen a lot of changes i've looked at some of your past writings from your team and yourself uh what what has surprised you the most I think just the pace of innovation and the pace at which this technology has moved forward is, is really surprising. But even more than that, even more than, you know, I think if you ask the people who are working on this technology and have been working on it for years, they would say, well, you know, that's maybe that bit is less surprising. What's, what I find really interesting right now is how much the idea has caught on. You know, I was in, I was visiting my parents in New York a couple months ago, and I, was, I saw some friends of my parents, people I've known you know, since I was a little kid, and all of a sudden, there's this, you know, this good mother, or this good friend of my mother saying, well, Alex, you know, where's my self-driving car? When is this going to be a reality? And it's, it's amazing that this idea that this thing, which was just kind of a Jetsons, pie-in-the-sky idea, has caught on to the point that someone who is not a regular reader of Wired magazine, um, has caught on to it, and that this idea is even, you know, my grandmother asks me questions about how this technology <laughs> works, and I right. don't think it's just the personal connection to me. I think it's that it's people, everybody, what I love about transportation is that everybody has to get to one place, from one place yeah. to another. This is something we all do every day. Yes. And it touches everybody's life in a very personal and, and individual way. And I think people are catching on to the ways in which that's starting to change. It's not just public transit or you, you, know, you drive your car or you take an airplane once in a while. It's, well, you can use Uber or you can use Lyft or you can use bike share. Or now in San Francisco, we have these scooters that you can pick up off the street and ride for a dollar. And then you can buy a car now that'll drive itself on the highway. Maybe you can buy a car in 10 years that'll drive itself around town. And I think it's not just the pace of innovation. It's the pace at which the idea 
of how that's going to change is really starting to sink in more broadly. Exactly. Well, I know that uh, when DARPA did the grand challenge, that's exactly one of the themes is, you know, how do we impact the masses and everybody owns a car and everybody's fascinated with cars. And, and there was a lot of discussion, what would be the first grand challenge? And at the time, of course, we had a discussion about uh, unmanned aerial vehicles at the time, and we just were not very successful from the ground side. So that's how we launched autonomous vehicle race to improve that technology and improve uh, the various activities, which is kind of interesting. I was reading uh, last night uh, uh, a little bit and came across, uh, you know, Team Dad's uh, David Hall and mm-hmm. his uh, innovation on LiDAR. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the third s- s- uh, section, but it was interesting just to hear him and his growth in his company more than anything else. But the self-driving car is it's almost here. What do, you, what do you think about it? I mean, are you a believer in that process now that you've done a lot of articles and research? Yeah, I think, you know, it's an important part of my job to be skeptical, but also I think it's important for me to be optimistic. And we say that we here at Wired, are, our general editorial view is that we are optimistic about the role technology can play in in people's lives. But, you know, we're, we try to be the best reporters we can. And that means also being skeptical about what people are claiming about what that technology can do. And also wary of ways in which it might be misused or, or misconstrued. So yes, I'm absolutely a believer. I think that this technology can save lives. The number you'll hear from everyone working on self-driving tech is that about 40,000 people die on U.S. roads every year. And worldwide, it's something like 1.25 million. I don't believe, however, that self-driving cars are going to put a serious dent in those numbers anytime soon. Just because the technology is really hard. You know, people have been working on this for decades. People have been working on it really hard and putting serious money into it for the last five, ten years. And we're making incredible progress. What I do think we'll see just in the next couple of months or the next couple of years, certainly with companies like Waymo, which started off life mm-hmm. as Google self-driving car project right. and General Motors, Waymo plans to launch a commercial self-driving car service this year. General Motors okay. plans to launch its own in 2019. But I don't want people to think of it like, oh, General Motors is putting out a new car. This time it's a self-driving car. I'll be able to buy it or use it. I think that the way you'll expect to see those programs launch are very small in what we call geofenced areas, basically geographically limited areas where they can control the conditions, where they know exactly where the cars are going to be. It's not crazy to think that maybe they'll only run on set routes where the cars know, okay, here, here's where I make a right turn, here's where I can't turn on red, here's when I should be in the left lane versus the middle lane. And then slowly over time, they'll expand to cover more and more ground. And part of that, the thing to remember there is that these aren't cars you're going to buy. No one's going to be able to buy a car without a steering wheel, I think, in the foreseeable future, decades, at least decades, just because the idea of making a car that can drive itself anywhere in any conditions, which is what you want when you buy a car. That's the idea of personal freedom that, that, uh, right. Our, that car company marketers have been talking about for decades. 
you know, that technology is just too far away. But what you'll be able to get is, you know, an Uber without an Uber driver Mm -hmm. uh, in the next couple of years, which I think is a neat idea and it should make our roads safer. What I think is really interesting and that I spend a lot of time thinking about not necessarily successfully is what, what comes next? Okay. Right. We have, we have this idea, right? What do we talk? We talk about the driverless car. And I think in a way that term is not, is not what we should be using because it's so limiting. It's limiting in the same way that horseless carriage was limiting more than a hundred years ago, right? People said, Oh, what's, what's this thing? Oh, it's a horseless carriage. It does what a carriage does, but you don't need a horse to pull it. Obviously today, cars are so much more than that. They're, they have cultural importance. They have technological and they do things that no one could ever imagine a horse doing. And they've changed societies in ways that horse drawn vehicles never could have. And I think that that's what you're going to see ultimately with this technology that's what's going to roll out over the coming years, over the rest of my lifetime. I have no idea what's, what someone's going to think of, um, but I'm really excited to see it. No, I think the uh, self-driving car, autonomous car, you know, Tesla, pilotless car, all those have their technology challenges. Uh, as you said, we're not quite there. A lot of folks are, are, are working that. We've got about a minute left before we go on our first break, but uh, can you start talking a little bit about your toughest transportation uh, problem or subject area? Sure. I think <clears throat> to, to pick up uh, on, the, on the Tesla idea, Tesla has a system called autopilot where the car effectively controls itself on the highway. It takes care of the steering and the brakes and the acceleration so it can stay in its lane and the safe distance from other vehicles. Cadillac has a similar uh, system. Audi's rolling one out. So is Nissan. The problem that all of these companies are coming up against is trying to find the balance between when does the computer do the driving and when does the human do the driving and how do you make those things work together? I think it's a fascinating design problem, even more than yes. it is a technology problem, because humans are really great drivers when we're paying attention and when we're well taught how to drive. The problem is that, as anyone who's driven a car probably knows, that's, you know, we're not that way all the time. We get distracted or we get sleepy or we drink or we do drugs and then we get behind the wheel or we just can't pay attention 100% of the time. And finding a way to combine human skills with what computers are really good at is not necessarily that human right. flexibility, but the right. ability to stay focused at all times. Finding a way to, to mesh those two together is fascinating and really challenging. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, folks, you're listening to T3. Our show today is about transportation technology and innovation. Can we really do this? Our guest is Alex Davis, writer and senior associate editor for Wire Magazine, and we'll be back here shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Our humanity is a thing we take for granted, but it takes many forms, and it requires much of us to fully express it. Listen to On Living, The Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with host Dr. Leanne Nguyen. This program will explore topics about survival, fulfillment, hope, connection, being fully alive to ourselves and to others. Guests are people whose life experience inspires us to reflect on these questions. Tune into On Living, broadcasting live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to today tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com now back to our show Welcome back, folks. Let's continue our T3 program with our guest, Alex Davis, writer and senior associate editor for Wire magazine. He covers the autonomous electrical vehicles, aviation, and transportation infrastructure. And we just covered a little bit about the autonomous vehicle or piloted vehicles, and we were talking about what we used to call at DARPA the the magic sauce of blending the sensors with the mechanical uh, interactions of the automobile. And Alex was talking uh, about adding the human dynamics. When does uh, the vehicle become a self-driving vehicle itself? When does the human interact with that? And Alex, can you continue that conversation? What are we learning and what's the process? Because Tesla has certainly gotten in trouble, uh, at least from the driver's perspective, of knowing when to let the vehicle do the autonomous driving and when they need to intervene. Sure. Well, the the thing to remember about Tesla's system is that as advanced as it is, especially compared to other things on the road, it's technologically speaking, actually relatively simple. As I was saying before the break, you know, the car stays between its lane, between the lane lines. It uses a camera to look out for those. It uses a radar to look out for other moving cars and to stay a safe distance from those. These are relatively simple calculations, and that's why the technology is only supposed to use in places like highways where you don't get kids or running into the street or cyclists biking alongside you or intersections. It's 
really nothing very confusing. But still, making a technology that, that works without human supervision remains out of reach, at least on the, on the commercial scale for a vehicle that you're going to sell to people. So what you'll see if you get the chance to get into a Tesla is that when you go to turn on autopilot, it's going to give you a warning screen. You have to a little liability waiver. And what that thing is telling you is you remain in charge of the vehicle. You, dear human, are still the driver. And that you must watch the road at all times. And the car is basically not quite capable of doing everything it needs to do to keep you safe. And therefore, you are the backup driver. Or even more than backup driver, you're... You're the, you're the supervisor. The way you watch, if you bring your toddler into the kitchen to help you cook, you're going to keep, like, you don't expect that kid to be able to do everything or really anything entirely safely. You're going to keep an eye on them 100% of the time. No, I agree. I've I've driven in them, and uh, the responsibility is pretty amazing. Although I must admit, uh, as you continue to drive, it's it's pretty good, and I think you get uh, complacent is is what's happening because you think, oh, man, it's doing pretty good, and you you let the leash out a little bit longer, and and that's when I think uh, drivers get in trouble. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's 100% the problem is that, these systems aren't very good, and because the way in which they're used lends to lends to their strengths. You know, highway driving is relatively simple. It doesn't take that much to keep a car in good behavior. And it, I'm sure that while we don't have good stats on this yet, the da- we just don't have enough data yet. People haven't been able to to nail down any concrete findings. I am willing to bet money that these systems absolutely, if they don't quite save lives, they certainly prevent crashes. All those stupid little fender benders you get into on the highway that then make traffic worse for everybody because you look down at your phone or you stop paying attention and you just bumped into the person in front of you. These systems are great for avoiding exactly that kind of problem. The issue with them, as you noted, the word, you're completely right, is complacency. Because mm-hmm. these systems are very good, it's very easy to forget that you should be paying attention or to just kind of, you know, stop. Monitor. <laughs> yeah, stop monitoring it, ultimately. Yeah. Are you going to look at your phone? Are you going to get a little sleepy? Or are you going to get very engaged in conversation with your, with your passenger? And that's a problem because every once in a while, these cars encounter something they can't handle. So here, here's the scariest one, is that the cars are not built to see stopped objects. And the reason for that is very simple. They use, um, and this is, Tesla is a good example, but Cadillac uh, vehicles have a similar problem or similar shortcomings, so do Nissan vehicles. Because they use radar to look Mm -hmm. for cars in front of them. And radar is great because it's robust. It's easy to put into cars without cranking up the cost too much. It's been, you know, radars have been in cars since the late 90s when Jaguar first put it in for adaptive cruise control. So, you know, radar is established automotive grade. It's a great sensor. The problem is that radar picks up kind of on everything. And if you relied on radar to say, hey, there's an object, don't hit it, your car's going to be slamming the brakes every time you pass by a hubcap that's on the side, that's on the shoulder or a highway sign. 
And okay. the, those are what you'd call false positives, right? Reasons you right. don't want the car braking, not just because it's annoying, but randomly braking on the highway is dangerous. So what these systems do to deal with that is they filter out those false positives by saying, hey, we're only looking for vehicles that are ahead of you. So those vehicles are always going to be moving because this is meant for highway situations. So radar, in addition to picking up objects, is also very good at picking up object velocity. Mm -hmm. So it says, I'm going, the system is going to filter out anything that isn't moving. Right. That works great as long as you're following a car in front of you. But what's happened in a couple of uh, crashes with, with Tesla cars, and I think that the reason you're seeing more crashes happen with Tesla cars in particular is that there are just more of these on the road right now. Tesla puts a system into every car it sells and has been doing so exactly. for a couple of years. Yep. It's yep, got yep. probably you know, roughly 100,000 Tesla cars with the system out on the road worldwide. That's a rough estimate. No, so and they're pushing seeing, the limits for, you know, on yeah, the cars. So. Exactly, and they push in every car. And, that, yeah. um, and so what's happened with two Tesla cars recently is that drivers have been following cars, other moving cars that, you know, those drivers maybe haven't been paying total attention. That, and then you encounter a fire truck stops on, you know, stopped in the lane or stopped on the shoulder and budging and, you know, also in part of a lane because it's a big vehicle, as sometimes happens on, you know, on highways, they're there to deal with an accident or whatever. So right. a human driver sees that, moves out of the way, you know, puts their blinker on, moves to the left, gets out of the way. But then the Tesla, which had been following that human car, is now all of a sudden seeing a stopped fire truck. Stops and it says, yeah. ignore that. That's not moving. That's not what we look for. Yeah. And boom. And so that's why in the past couple of months, twice, you've seen Tesla cars smash into stopped fire trucks at highway mm. speeds without hitting the brakes at all before impact because those wow. drivers weren't looking because they got complacent and they forgot, ah, I need to be keeping a constant eye on the system. So that's yep, the yep. problem. That's that's really critical. Look, uh, Alex, as you're doing your editing and reporting with yourself and your team, uh, what other new technologies? We've talked about electric cars. We've talked about self-driving cars. What do you uh, think about the rolling delivery of drones or the flying vehicle or the vertical takeoffs on some of these uh, new gadgets that even Uber's trying to pursue? Oh, yeah, flying cars. Um, and, you know, honestly, people give me – you know, a little bit of trouble about the term flying cars when we're talking about uh, what Uber hopes to, to put into service at some point in the next couple of years, which, you know, a proper uh, person would call electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, things that can, you know, fly straight up and down like a helicopter, but then also convert to vertical flight like an airplane. Like the, um, the famous <laughs> example is the, uh, is the Osprey. Um, the, um, the military jet. Now, aviation technology is advancing to the point where it's not crazy to think that we could put those into service in cities in the near future where they'd be able to uh, land on heliports on top of buildings like in Los Angeles, um, mm -hmm. transfer over into vertical flight, fly you across town, put you down on the helipad uh, to whatever building your, your lunch meeting's in. Right. And so... I just want to say I defend the term flying car here because I think that, sure, it doesn't drive on the ground, but no one wants a car that can actually drive on the ground and fly. That I don't, I don't see the point of that. That's, you either drive or you know, fly because it's better. 
why I think the term flying car applies is that it's a vehicle that does what we use cars to do, which is relatively short trips, mm-hmm. uh, everyday short trips that's not flying from Paris to Bangkok, you know, which is what a regular passenger jet is for, but that does it in the air instead of on the ground. Right, right. What, what's interesting there is that the first time Uber said, hey, we're, we're thinking about flying cars, my first reaction was, well, you're insane. That's yeah. right. It's <laughs> yeah. completely insane. Well, we're not there yet, ago. you know. Right. Yes. We're not there yet. And then the, the first thing I did, you know, this is my job, is I called up someone at, at Embry-Riddle, which is a famed aeronautical university. You know, they've got some right. of the best aviation experts in the world. And I called them up and I found someone who could talk about this. And I said, Uber thinks this is possible in the next couple of years. Just how crazy are they? He goes, well, yeah, not, not very crazy. That seems reasonable. And what I hadn't realized until that moment was that the technology in terms of motors and in terms of uh, aeronautic you know, aviation control systems, computer-controlled mm-hmm. flight, has really made tremendous strides in the last couple of decades, whereas you know, I used the, the Osprey as the example of a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle. The Osprey was famously hard to fly. Like impossible oh, to fly because you have yes. to control all of these different rotors at the same time. And they were swinging up and swinging down. And now just as we have computers that can make a car drive itself pretty safely on the road, we've got computers that can control all of that. So it's mm-hmm. not crazy to think that this technology is, um, it's really just around the corner in terms of saying it's a couple of years out. The regulation, yes. the certification, the air traffic control, that's going to be the really thorny bit there. <laughs> FAA. Yes, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, when I'm looking at the uh, 2017 uh, transportation topics, uh, what has impressed you the most in your, uh, you know, either writing or some of your writers writing t- uh, the technology? I keep talking about the supersonic airplane or reusable rockets that we keep seeing. Uh, anything like that uh, interests you or you have another topic that uh, your audience is, is uh, you're writing about for your audience? So I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, of a curveball here. And it's a topic we, we cover a lot. It's not exactly a distinct technology, although I think that the return of supersonic aviation as someone who never had the chance to fly in the Concorde would be so, so cool. Um, and definitely reasonable and realistic, I think, in the next in the near future, aviation-wise, near future is this next couple of decades. As I'm, as I'm sure you know, as a former Air Force person, you know, aviation oh, aviation takes no, time to roll out, um, and that's what makes everything so safe. But what I think is is really interesting, what I find exciting, and that I love talking about, is the way cities are changing. And it's no one concrete technology that's allowing this, although I think if you could point to one, it would be the smartphone. You know, I've touched already on the effect of Uber and Lyft, which make it easy to get around without a car, especially you live in a, if you live in a city and you only need a car occasionally. Um, but more than that, they've enabled things like bike share. And now, you know, I work in, in San Francisco and we have electric scooter share. And I don't even mean just, you know, Vespa style sit and ride on them scooters. I mean like kick scooters, which work electrically. And all of a sudden, a couple of months ago, these things showed up and every single person on the sidewalk was riding one of these things for, for a dollar a mile or whatever it was. But 
Wow. What I think is really happening in cities is that people are recognizing the idea and excited by the idea that you don't need to own a car to get around anymore. Correct. And that city officials are getting into this. They're supporting things like bike share and even scooter share. And they're trying to build better bike lanes and maybe wider sidewalks. And really, it's the, it's the idea, it's the recognition of, hey, like, you know, the car has dominated American transportation for going on a century now, certainly half a century, really, since, you know, the post-war period. Post, and we yes. built our cities around this vehicle, but, you know, we built them this way. Maybe now we can change how we get around and we can use these different modes of transportation to get around. And I think that it's no one concrete technology, but it's really just, it's kind of an attitude and it's an idea that I find totally compelling. No, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I see, uh, more, well, more of the millennials, I think, has been reported they they do not get their uh, driver's license at age 16 or whatever they're, you know, and there's less and less of them driving, especially in the big cities, and the cities continue to grow. I yeah, myself and, have the and theory And more and more that, young people moving to cities. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think you're going to have this dichotomy of uh, big cities versus the urban, because in the urban side of the house, you always need that transportation because it's a mile out for the grocery mm-hmm. store. Or, or so forth and so on. But I do believe, like you said, is that uh, just in the city itself, the transportation and the mechanism of transportation uh, is going to change your, your lifestyle. I mean, the metro can only do so much. Uh, I, I was fascinated about your electric scooter because I just got myself a motorcycle to move around here in the Washington, D.C. area. So that's quite interesting. We've got about a minute left on our on our topic here, what other changes in the city do you see uh, happening or changes in the transportation industry? I think that what I, what I think will be the most interesting is the, the deprioritization of the car, which, mm. you know, it's hard to guarantee because, hard you know, yeah, exactly. just the idea that, Hey, you know, we don't need to make our streets entirely for cars anymore. We should make them to support uh, these new forms of transportation. And here's what I, so for a long time, this has been the work of, you know, cycling and public transit advocates. What I think is really interesting now is Uber and Lyft are getting into these businesses. And so are the big automakers. They're getting into things like bike share because they see, hey, like people like this way of moving around. This is a new business venture for us. And I think all of a sudden when you've got big, important companies supporting things like bike share and scooter share and ways of getting around that aren't cars, all of a sudden you've got a lot more muscle behind the idea of making streetscapes safer right. and better for people who are on foot or on wheels that aren't uh, motor vehicles. Perfect, perfect. Well, a whole lot of thought will uh, continue on. Uh, we're going back to our second commercial break. Uh, folks, we're talking to uh, Alex Davis, a writer and senior associate editor for Wired Magazine, and we'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Divorce or domestic family issues can take their toll not only on the adults who are party to it, but also to their children. Sometimes separation or divorce are far better solutions than staying around a toxic relationship. Now there's a show that listens and provides solutions. Listen for Reclaiming Your Life with host Don Christensen. In this program, we discuss family crisis issues which can happen to anyone. Divorce with dignity is possible, and working together can achieve wonderful results. Listen Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to todaytomorrowstechnologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. We're starting our third segment for T3 show, and our discussion today is transportation technology and innovation. Can we really do this? Our guest today is Alex Davis, writer for Wire magazine. He is a writer and senior editor at Wire, and we've been discussing really the autonomous vehicles, the flying uh, cars, if you so, uh, drones, the vertical takeoffs, and uh, a little bit about the supersonic planes. Uh, uh, I have never got to ride one of those. I would love to get back to that. But with uh, um, I know the technology is being built right now. They're doing a lot of rocket testing, engine testing, and also the materials. So hopefully in, uh, in, in a short period of time in aviation history, like 10 years, we'll get to see them again. We've already seen uh, the reusable rockets. Uh, this segment, I'd like to turn to what else is new uh, when we left off. Uh, uh, just technology and innovation for transportation in cities is changing. Alex mentioned that it is going to be a major change in focus. And so I'd like to continue that discussion and then get into the top stories. One of the stories he had, and Alex, I'd like you to uh, comment on that. You said you're writing on the infrastructure for these cities or transportation. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. And I think that we can talk about infrastructure in a couple of different ways. The the most obvious one is, you know, the the common sense use of the, you know, of the term, which is just here's how we build streets and here's how we build our cities and, and public transportation networks. Here's where 
the bus lane goes, here's where the train tracks go, here's where the corner is. And I think that you're starting to see a decent amount of change there in terms of just cities are doing a, a couple of things to, to, again, use the term I used before, which is to deprioritize the, the personal car. So one of those will be, okay, well, how about we lower speed limits a little bit? And we try to, you know, so that if we do have collisions or if we do have people hitting pedestrians, then those crashes are less likely to be fatal or to cause serious injuries. Another is building out better bike lanes and better networks of bike lanes. Because, you know, I've <laughs> biked in various cities, including New York and San Francisco. And every once in a while, you'll be on a bike lane. You'll be like, this is great. And then it just ends. And then you're in, you're in the middle of car traffic. And uh, Alex so, is over here shaking yeah. her head. So she's experienced <laughs> Yes. So, you know, cities are starting to pay more attention to, to how, figuring out how to do this in a more holistic way to support people who are not just driving. I think that an interesting example we can point to here is Ford. Uh, Ford, you know, which more than anyone pioneered the the personal car for, for the masses with the vehicle like the Model T and, and the assembly line and, you know, helped to build up America's middle class and, and all of this is that Ford is starting to, to change its tune in recent years. And, you know, I had the chance to sit down with uh, Bill Ford Jr., who's the great-grandson of Henry Ford and was wow. the CEO of Ford for, for some years uh, and is now the chairman of the company. And he told me, you know, he said, if we try to put two cars in every garage in Mumbai, like, you're nuts. Just the idea of what we've done for the last hundred years in America just isn't going to work anymore. And it's not going to work for this exploding world where it, it's not just young people moving to cities, but it's more than half the world's population living in cities and mega cities, especially in places like India and China. We've got to start thinking differently. So Ford, you know, of course, still builds a lot of pickup trucks. It still builds cars. That's where its money comes from. But when it starts talking about the future, it talks about itself as an operating system. And it's a little pie in the sky. It's a little, you know, uh, head in the clouds type thinking. And it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what they mean by that. But the general idea is that they're saying, hey, we're not just going to build cars that people own and drive. And then 10 years later, we hope that when they need a new car, they come back and they buy another Ford. It's they're going to get more involved in the way people move around. So they're going to do things like sponsor bike shares. They're going to try and build apps that connect you from an Uber to a Lyft to, to the bus, to the train, to your bike share, to your electric scooter, to the get you the last mile. And so in that sense, the infrastructure is changing, not in the physical way, but in the way of, hey, like, I have a new system on my phone for telling me I need to get from where I am to my office. Yeah. And it's going to give me new and different ways to change that. And I think you can call that also an infrastructural change. 
Yeah, and it facilitates, uh, you know, the biggest fear from anybody coming from a rural environment to uh, a city life, uh, urban type, uh, is how do I get around? I can't move my, I mean, I'm in D.C., you're in, in San Francisco, New York, or L.A. The traffic jams are awful. So if we can get rid of uh, most of that by changing the way we do it and do it safely but economically and wisely, i.e., I have an app that tells me if you go here, here, and here, you, you'll make your connections. It would be great. But also, uh, I want to, I've heard the story. I haven't confirmed it yet, but exactly what you said, Ford's getting out of the automobile industry or they're going to focus on building trucks versus cars more. Uh, I've heard that. I haven't confirmed it yet, but uh, that just tells me that, yeah, they're thinking a different way of uh, transportation applications, uh, as you yeah. said. And they're, they're doubling down on pickup trucks and, and bigger vehicles and moving away from from cars, uh, you know, in terms of sedans. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think that's the way that like automotive taste is going, and it's an important reminder that as much time as I spend at Wired, as much time as I spend talking about the future of transportation, is that you know the present is still very much here. People are still very reliant on cars. The auto industry is still a robust business to be in, but I think this is where companies like Ford and General Motors does the same thing: is talking about okay, well how are things going to change 50 years down the line? How can we make sure that we're a part of that change, that we're not left behind, that we don't risk bankruptcy or getting near bankruptcy again? I think that's very important to them and that they're starting to put real money and real resources into being ready for that future. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the personal car is going to die anytime soon or that it's going to be banned anytime soon. But I think... In a sense, it's uh, the CEO of General Motors, Mary Barra, once called the idea of this, uh, this newfangled mobility and self-driving cars, she called it an accretive opportunity, as in an additional opportunity, as in, hey, here's a new way in which people are getting around, in which we think we can play a positive role that's going to be good for people and good for our shareholders. So let's, let's go get into that. And I think that that's what you're seeing now. Yes. One thing we haven't talked about is uh, either the uh, high-speed trains in the U.S. or you think we've all, uh, are we going to get there, not get there? There's a lot of discussion, the Hyperloop transport system. Any discussions on that as you travel? You know, high-speed rail in the U.S. is is hard. California has been talking about connecting San Francisco and Los Angeles by high-speed rail for I don't know how many years now but I think you could probably measure it in decades. And we're many years out from getting anywhere near a finished system. That's not a technological hurdle. We know how to build these trains. In fact, the high-speed rail they're trying to build right now will be noticeably slower than high-speed rail in countries in Europe and, and Asia. Yeah. It's, these are political and bureaucratic problems. And I think that on the one hand, it's... The system is designed to try and be fair, to try and do all the environmental reviews, to make sure that you know exactly what you're building so that you're not taking away people's land or rights unfairly. But the system is too bogged down. It's to the point where we just can't move forward. And I think what you're seeing in other countries is that places that are more willing to move forward or 
Well, they're just not encumbered you know, by the, uh, exactly. by, I guess, the social or the uh, environmental issues and, and stuff like that. How about yeah. the uh, the uh, Hyperloop transport system that uh, people keep talking about and just, I guess, a single pod jettison to your arrival or a family arrival to a destination? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hyperloop, which is this super neat idea that, that Elon Musk made popular a couple of years ago where – you build a big, long tube, and you pump almost all of the air out of it so that there's no air resistance when you're moving through. And you, you take a pod, and you put it in there, and you, and you make it levitate the way um, maglev trains do, using either, exactly. either magnets or, or air bearings or different uh, potential technologies there. And then you just shoot it through this tube, and because it's levitating, because there's almost no air in there, there's no friction or resistance slowing it down. And so... The idea is you can go at near supersonic speeds over hundreds of miles with very little energy dispensed because you're not using all of your energy to keep up that speed. Correct. That's really yeah. neat and fascinating and and physics-wise, totally possible. You know, you talk to an engineer, they're like, oh, yeah, the physics of it totally makes sense. The problem, at least in the United States, is you're going to run into the same issues that high-speed rail does, is that even if you say, oh, well, the tube can go underground or it can go on pylons or, or its footprint isn't as big, it's still, I mean, you're still going to hit a ton of political, political and bureaucratic hurdles here, yep. which is yep. why yep. I think that if we probably will see a Hyperloop system in the next couple of years, maybe not a very big one, maybe it'll be one route connecting like an airport to a city center, but I can't imagine it'll be in the United States. Right. It's too, too difficult right now. Well, let me change subjects. Bad. We've got about three minutes left, two minutes now. Uh, you know, if, what's your advice to an individual who's starting out in either in a writing career or a, in the transportation industry? What would you tell him to do? Writing career, my advice would be to write a lot. And that okay. that's the hardest part is getting your foot in the door and showing that you can actually do this. And, you know, I didn't get into this. I started my career at Business Insider. But actually, before that, I was writing for a couple of blogs for, God, they paid me, I think, 14 or $15 an article, where I was writing for a a site called treehugger.com and and doing a bit of work for the Discovery Channel's uh, news site. And I was just saying, hey, you know, I'm willing to write, write, write. And then by the time I got the opportunity to get a job at Business Insider, which ultimately led me to Wired. I could say, here are all these stories I've done. Here's how you can see what I think is interesting. Here's what I write. And then obviously those places took me in and and trained me to be a lot better at what I'm doing. Perfect, perfect. And what is one thing that you would like to do but you haven't done yet? I would like to learn how to code a little bit. I've been thinking about this more lately. You know, I talk to all these people who are software masters, and I have no idea how to do what they do. And I think it would be neat, almost like learning a foreign language, just to dip my toe in the water and to and to get a taste of how they live their lives. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, 
Alex, I, I'd like to thank you today. Uh, more than anything else, we had a very interesting conversation. Uh, we covered a lot of subjects in the transportation world uh, and the innovations and uh, what we can expect in the future as far as our, as the mega cities continue to grow. And I appreciate your time today. Uh, folks, next week, uh, we uh, plan to have a special guest on our show. Uh, I'm inviting Southfish, former CEO of Score International. We're, he's an off-road legend for the Baja 1500 and 250. We're going to be talking about uh, just technology on the off-road side. He was part of the grand challenge of, as far as the autonomous vehicle, and uh, he supported DARPA for many years. Uh, he was a non-believer, and uh, it was amazing to get his take on the autonomous vehicle. I'd like to thank, uh, of course, D. Daniels, our producer, and, of course, my special assistant, Alexandria, who I call A3 for helping me, and, of course, more importantly, my crew and family who support me every day. Alex, thank you a lot. I appreciate it. And for my audience, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.